I think that's my first official whoop welcome. So thank you for that. I feel, I feel privileged. Thank you very much. I also noticed for the first time, I've been here a few times in the afternoon, but the first time today I noticed that the clock's behind the preacher and facing the congregation. So that means I get to talk as long as I want, yeah? And you get to realize how long exactly it is. If anyone's taking note, it's just gone 20 past now. So. I did say to Mark beforehand that I think this is going to be my longest preach I've ever done. Fortunately for you guys, I've only done 30 minutes before this, so it's not going to be horrendously long. Um, it's great to be here. I'm going to speak today about something that over the past couple of weeks I've got dead excited about. And it's something that can, we can often just put on the side or put as something separate. But I just feel God wants to raise it, particularly to your guys' attention at this point in your congregational history. That I feel it's something that's going to change how effective you guys are at reaching the lost, at building community, at loving one another and extending the kingdom of God. I genuinely believe that and I hope that I hope I can communicate that. I do. I hope I can bring that to you guys and it has that sort of effect. Now I'm trusting in God and I'm guessing you guys are as well because you know me. So a lot of faith today. Yeah? <laughs> um, we're going to read a passage from Luke 7. And by the way, Jen, loads of Bible references today. So, Luke 7, it's going to start in verse 36. Just before I read it, background to this, Jesus has started his ministry. He's been out and about, getting a bit of name for himself. And a Pharisee called Simon says to Jesus, hey, why don't you come back to my house and have some food? That's the context, so I'm going to read. Luke 7, verse 36. It's entitled, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. That's probably code for um, a lady who likes to walk around the street at night. I'm, I'm using that term just to help parents here. Because I could be more blatant about helping you. Um, now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house... She bought an alabaster jar of perfume. That's very expensive. It's a very large jar of perfume. As, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests began to say among themselves, who's this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this passage primarily, I think, speaks about a few things. So there's a couple of things in there. It speaks about abundant worship. So this woman, sinful woman, comes to Jesus and there's an abundant show of her appreciation for who she is. It also speaks about Simon and his hypocrisy and not really getting what Jesus is about. And there's a few things we could pull out around those sort of areas. But actually, I feel stirred to, to talk to you guys in this passage about hospitality. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that word, I'm not saying hospitals. That's slightly different. It's hospitality. Now, to help us understand what that word means, we're going to have a quiz amongst you guys, okay? It's multiple choice, don't worry. It's multiple choice, it makes it easier. I'm going to give you three choices as what you think hospitality is really about. It's a a raise your hand situation, okay? I'll give you the three choices, then I'll go back through when we have hands raised. Choice number one. Hospitality is putting on an excellent meal. Choice number two. Hospitality is welcoming people. Choice number three. Hospitality is enjoying meeting new people. So, votes for number one. Putting on an excellent meal. No one thinks that's hospitality. Okay. Bryony, Bev, Helen, could get in there. You're part of the hospitality team. But number two, welcoming people. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, that one seems to be popular. And enjoying meeting new people. Who's voted twice? <laughs> Brian, three times. Well, in fact, it was a little bit of a trick question. It is kind of all three. There's elements of all three within hospitality. If we go to the Bible and we look at the word that is translated into English as hospitality, the, the, the word means to love guests or to love strangers. So you could say all those three things would come into that category to put on a good meal, to welcome them, to meet new people. It is loving guests, it is loving strangers. So it's kind of part of all of that, really. Um, so... I'm just, don't, don't go for these ones, it's all right. So 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.8, Romans 12.13. This is so, I, you know, so you know I've done the research. Yeah. Romans 12.13, Hebrews 13.12, use that word to show love to guests. That's where that one comes from. But there's other words as well that are translated hospitality, which just give us a fuller picture of what hospitality is about. So in, and again, don't need to go to this one, Jim. 3 John 1.8, it says hospitality well, that, that word really means to receive in full. It's like a comprehensive embrace. It's like, I really want you to be here, and I really, really want you to be here. It's like a total comprehensive kind of hospitality. And there's another one in Romans 16, 23, and the thrust of that is like hosting. It's just looking after people. Come, come to my house, and I'll host you. So there's that element. And then 1 Timothy 5.10 talks about lodging strangers. In one version, the, the King James Version says lodging strangers. In the New uh, International Version, it talks about hospitality. So looking after, having strangers stay in your home. So all those things kind of encompass hospitality. So I'm not talking about hospitals, where you get sick and where you get ill. I'm talking about hospitality, loving guests, loving strangers, letting them stay in your house, letting them look after you. Now, some of you guys are thinking, aha, I don't have a house. I don't have to listen to what Ben's saying anymore. It's not relevant to me. Sorry, it is still relevant. And I'll tell you why. I think, I think we can take hospitality a bit broader, okay? To love guests and to love strangers is really something you can do from a place that you're comfortable. 
So if you come here regularly on a Sunday afternoon, you can show hospitality because you're comfortable here. You're at home here. So you, therefore, can love strangers, people who come through the door who are guests. You have that ability to do that because you're comfortable. Equally, say for you guys at school, you feel comfortable at school. You've been at school for like, I don't know, 20 years. Is that how long you go to school for? It's all right. Don't worry. It's not 20 years. I was joking. <laughs> she was like, oh, no, not 20 years. Um, if you if you if you've been at school for a while and you're comfortable and someone new comes to school, then showing them hospitality is looking after them, is loving them a little bit, is saying, actually, do you want to come along and I'll show you the way around? You can show hospitality even if you don't own a home or rent a home or live in a home. It's still possible to do that. Therefore, what I'm gonna say is still relevant. So hopefully you're still listening. Um The main book of what I want to talk about is really picking apart this passage and seeing what Jesus says and how he speaks directly into hospitality. His aim is not to do that, but he's trying to do something else, but he actually comments on it, which is very helpful for us. But before I do that, I just want to give us a big vision of hospitality. I want to kind of stretch where we place hospitality in the context of church life. I want us to really see where it nestles in terms of God's heart. I don't want us to see it as an isolated concept or something that we do occasionally, but I want us to see something of God's heart for hospitality. And there's no better place to start than when God himself. And it's not going to surprise you for me to tell you that God is a hospitable God. Hopefully, that's a familiar idea for you, but let's kind of dig into that. Let's check that out a little bit. Um, In this bit, lots of Bible references that we are going to read. So, Jennifer Richardson, are you ready? We'll go to Acts 17, first of all, verse 24. Let's look at God, okay? I'd best turn to it as well, don't I? God, we have a term called self-sufficiency. God is self-sufficient. So in Acts 17, verse 24 to 25, it says this. This is um, Paul. Uh, He's kind of popped into Athens. These are people who worship loads of different gods, don't really know the one and only true God, but have some understanding. So so Paul's bringing some clarity for them. He's trying to say, this is the God I know. The God you think you know, you don't. This is the God I know. Come and worship him. So he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human, human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. There's one phrase there, it says, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. If we switch that around, it basically means that God needs nothing. He's totally and utterly self-sufficient. He could have existed for eternity within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and been totally and utterly happy. There is no compulsion, no need within him to do anything else because he's totally and utterly self-sufficient. If we get hold of that, then we realise in that context, God creates man. God creates us. God allows us to come into being. He breathes life into us and allows us to have relationship with him. So we have Adam and Eve who were created by God, the first humans, and they walked in relationship with him. They were designed and built for relationship with him as we are. They were designed and built to give glory to him as we are. But something went wrong. We sinned. We turned our back on God. We went our own way. Adam and Eve went their own way. There was only one restriction in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge 
of good and wrong. The tree of the knowledge of life. Don't eat from that. And they ate from it. We all choose to do things our way. We all choose to do things wrong. And that alienates us from God. That pushed us away from God. Sin built a barrier between us and God. Because God is totally and utterly holy. He's totally and utterly self-sufficient. He has no need for us, but he cannot associate with us if we are sinful. We are bereft. We're away from him. We have no chance of ever working our way back into his presence because he's totally holy and we're not. We're separated from him. So in Genesis 3.23, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. They were banished from God's presence. And really, that's what's happened to us. As sinners before God, we are banished from his presence. We are removed from living with him. We are not allowed to be in relationship with him because of our sin. So we find ourselves actually as aliens. We find ourselves actually as strangers. We find ourselves actually as guests. We're in need of God's hospitality. If God does not love us, if God does not love strangers, if God does not want to pursue us, then my friends, we're in total, absolute and utter dismay. We've got no chance. Ephesians 2.12. Let's read the good news because it's been quite negative so far. Ephesians 2.12. It says this. This is Paul writing to a church in Ephesus. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, like we are, like we were, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If we skip down to verse 19, it kind of makes this point even more clearly about God's hospitality to us. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, in other words, people who are strangers, people who are guests to God, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. What Jesus has done on the cross is a demonstration of God's hospitality. And it's the ultimate demonstration, because it's not like God's invited us in for a quick chat and a meal and said, thanks very much, see you later. We've been invited into his family. We had no right to be there. We were strangers. We were far off. We had no chance of getting ourselves into God's presence. And yet, the blood of Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And God's hospitality has enabled us to be invited and with freedom to run not only into his presence, not only to bow before him in reverence, but to be invited into his family, his household. We are members of God's household. It's the ultimate act of hospitality. Paul and Louise Hayne, for some reason, said to Mark Willoughby, come and live with us for a while. That is God's grace. Right there. Amazing God. But in fact, God saying to us, come and live in my household, is a greater act of grace. We get to live in God's household. We're part of his family. That's God's heart. God wants to do that with so many people. That's his heart. To win guests and strangers and drag them from the far reaches of the world, from the far reaches of hell, from the far reaches of sin, and welcome them into his family. Welcome them into his household. That is God's heart. And if we're not convinced about that, 
We can look a little later about a few passages that just kind of convey that a bit more. Now, at this point in time, I appreciate that illustrations help us to get hold of information. And I was trying to think of an illustration. We've just used Paul and Louise with Mark, and that's kind of a little bit helpful. I thought about Madonna and baby David, because there's some adoption there. And he's a foreigner, he's far off a different land. She kind of sweeps in, grabs hold of baby David, you're adopted, well, hey, can we live with my family? But I thought, that means I compared it comparing God to Madonna. It didn't kind of work for me. It kind of diminishes how wonderful God is and what's it like to be in his family. You know, would you want a Madonna as your mum? No, thank you, Steve. I wouldn't either. Maybe other people do. But the point is this, that as though we can get something like it, we can understand a little bit of it, actually, in reality, there's nothing that can compare to how far we were from God and how wonderful God is and how much an act of hospitality it is to bring us into his family and into his household. When I eat crumbly food like toast or cake, after I've had a bite, you hungry, Steve? (laughs) Sorry. When when I've eaten a slice, there's sometimes a remnant of crumbs on my fingers. This is abhorrent to me. I do not like it, nor do I permit it. So therefore, this process happens. A little bit of rubbing of the fingers to remove the excess crummage. Now, if you want to employ the same tactic, I understand and feel free to do that. The other week, Isabel was having a slice of toast. And lo and behold, she takes a bite, puts it down. And Jill said, look! She's doing what you do. It's so annoying. (laughs) I thought, she's got a father's heart. It's a wonderful thing. Isabel, unfortunately, fortunately for her, is going to spend time with me and pick up my characteristics, pick up my habits. If we spend time with God our Father, we're going to pick up his characteristics. We're going to end up being a little bit lightened. So if God has done the ultimate act of hospitality, if God is the ultimate host, if you like, we're going to end up being like him. I think there's a challenge in that for some of us, actually, because you think, I'm not hospitable. I haven't got the gift of hospitality. It's actually debatable whether there is a gift of hospitality from the Bible. But, by and by, some of you may discount yourself, but actually... It's part of God's character. I really firmly believe it's part of who God is to be hospitable. The more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. It says that in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we're being transformed into his likeness. We're being transformed into Jesus' likeness. If God is hospitable, we spend time with him, we're going to end up wanting to be hospitable. And God has always wanted his people to be hospitable. It's not like like a New Testament thrust. We see lots of references in the New Testament. Actually, it's, th- it's through the whole of Scripture. So if we turn to Leviticus, which is right at the start of the Bible, where God is outlining what he expects from his people, we can see a reference to the hospitality. He doesn't use the word, but there is most definitely a sense of God wanting his people to be hospitable. Now, Jews can get a reference. Of, can, they can get, can get known for being a bit aloof. But actually, God's people were meant to be all embracing and hospitable. It says this in Leviticus 19, verse 33 to 34. When an alien, guys, when it says alien, it doesn't mean like an extraterrestrial. 
There's no, no green men, three eyes, none of that. It just means someone from outside of your family, someone outside of your country. So we start again. When an alien, someone from outside your country, lives with you in your land, do not ill-treat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. In other words, someone who was born in your country, born as part of you. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's a simple thing. If someone is a stranger to you, treat him like someone who's part of family. That's what God said to his people to start off with. That's part of what he wanted from his people was an openness to strangers and an openness to guests and an openness to loving them and looking after them. It's right at the start. So we'll skip through to the middle a little bit. Well, kind of the middle. There's a couple of commands in the New Testament that just simply and utterly say, show hospitality. So in Romans 12:13 it says, practice hospitality. That's it, really. It's not like kind of, if you feel like it, on a Wednesday, on the morning. No, it's actually practice hospitality. Let's do it. It says so in 3 John 1.8, show hospitality. Very simple, show hospitality. I'm not confusing you at this point, am I? No, I didn't think so. It seems very simple to me. Practice hospitality, show hospitality. Shall we have one more? 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality. Three commands around hospitality. And, and we do them because we're like Jesus. We go forth because we want to do what Jesus said. We, we fulfill those things because our hearts are for him and to please him. So through scripture, from one end to the other, there is a thrust about hospitality. God is hospitable. He wants his people to be hospitable. You can kind of think of what I've just said as a very long introduction or as a point one and two. Now, depending on whether that feels like we're further through for you or not, I'll let you make that choice. For me, actually, that's a very big introduction. That's a very big context for this passage. That's a very big kind of broad brush, script, um, broad brush painting of what Scripture says about hospitality. But I felt it was really important for us to get at the heart of God on this, to really get hold of what he thinks hospitality is about, to really understand that we've been shown the greatest act of hospitality so we then can get excited about the possibility. So we then, actually, you'll listen to what I say a bit more. So if you've not been listening in the last 20 minutes, you, that's a long introduction. The last 20 minutes, you might not be listening now. So we're going to dig into this passage a bit more. So if we turn back to Luke, Luke 7 again. We're just going to pull a few things out here um, about hospitality. I'm going to try and be practical without being too obvious. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring some level of revelation, if that makes sense. So I hope some of this you'll have heard before. I'm sure some of it's fairly obvious, but maybe there's some freshness in that. Okay. So we talked about Simon the Pharisee gets Jesus to come to his house. Let's, let's look at Simon. Simon the Pharisee. Pharisee is a religious leader. So if you're a religious leader, then you should know a little bit about Leviticus. You should know that God's fairly hospitable. You should be fairly hospitable yourself. So let's see where he gets right. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. What he gets right is this. He makes an invitation. He invites someone. He offers hospitality. If you want to be hospitable, that's where it starts. I know that's complicated. I know that's difficult. I'll repeat myself just to make sure you're with me. If you want to practice hospitality, you'll probably have to invite someone around your house, if you want to practice hospitality. Now, of course, we talked about you can do it at other places, but the thrust of Scripture is about hospitality in our homes. If you want to do it, make an invitation. 
Point number one. Simon the Pharisee does very well at this point in time. He's doing good. He's invited Jesus into his home. Point number two. Verse 36 again. He invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Another little bit of hospitality. He's providing for Jesus' basic needs. He gives him some food. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He wants to listen to his guest. He wants to listen to what he has to say. That, that's quite hospitable. Let's put it the other way around. If you invited someone around, you had some food, and you talked out to them for two hours, I don't think they would feel loved. I don't think they would feel looked, looked, after, looked after. If you, in fact, listened to them, asked them questions, I think that's hospitable. I think they'll feel loved. I think they'll, I think they'll feel looked after. Simon's done okay. He's got three points right. But, as Jesus points out, he's got a few things wrong. This is more fun, isn't it? <laughs> Criticising people. We're good at that, aren't we? Fortunately, it's Jesus doing it rather than me, so I'm going to get on the back of what he says rather than just bringing my own criticism. So, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who he is touching and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon's very happy to welcome Jesus. He's very happy to show hospitality to Jesus. But when it comes to someone who is outside of his society, someone who is a sinner, the reluctance kicks in. I suspect he didn't invite her in. I suspect he just invited Jesus and she tagged along. He's not very happy about it. When we looked at what hospitality meant, you go back to the Greek word, it talks about loving strangers. She was most definitely a stranger and Simon was not up for loving her. Was not up for it at all. I think the stranger... Here's a quote for you. I've made this one up. Preachers sometimes have memorable things to say. I never have memorable things to say. So this is the only memorable thing I'll probably say from today. So if you're taking notes, now's the time to wake up and take notes. The stranger, the stranger, the more hospitable, the hospitality. Is that good? You like that? Yeah? Thank you. Did I get another whoop? The The stranger... The stranger, the more hospitable, the hospitality. I think the technical English is the more strange, the stranger. But it doesn't sound as good. So we'll go with the kind of non-grammatically correct one. What, what I'm saying really is, if you offer hospitality to people you know, love, and think are great, that's lovely. That's okay. But if you show hospitality to the people that the rest of society throws out, the rest of society ignores... I think that's getting closer to the heart of hospitality. I think it's getting closer to the heart of God. I think that's really what we're called to do, is to love strangers. As well as loving ourselves, as well as loving people we know, as well as getting people around for food, Acts 2, they kind of come to know Jesus, they get saved, and what do they do? They meet in each other's homes. They eat and break bread together. That's what they do, that's what the church does, that's what we do. It's great to offer hospitality to one another. Even better to offer hospitality to strangers. Simon wasn't up for it. Hopefully, maybe, we are. Verse 44. Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
Now, for us, that's a bit of a strange statement. If someone, if you, if you got someone around for dinner and they said, "You have not washed my feet," you'd go, "And?" Because that's not part of our culture. Okay, in their culture, they wear open-toed sandals. Little tangent: open-toed sandals. Jesus wore them. They are cool. Okay, if anyone debates that, just back off. Open-toed sandals are cool. Not with socks, James Martin. <laughs> but without socks, very cool. Open toe sandals, you're walking around, dusty environment, your feet get dirty. You come to someone's house, the servant or the host would then wash your feet. It's part of what happened. We, you know, there's a story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, showing his servant heart. If, if Simon really was servant-hearted, if he really got the heart of God, he would have attended to Jesus' basic needs. He would have washed his feet. And what's that for us? It's not washing people's feet. So what does it mean for us? What's the principle here? The principle is attending to basic needs. So I think it amounts to, do you want a cup of tea? I think it amounts to, my goodness, it's raining. Do you want a, do you want a new jumper? Do you, want a, do you want to stand by the radio and get warm? Your socks are soaking. Do you want my new pair that I've just washed? Don't offer old pairs of socks. I don't think that's hospitality. Yeah. Go for the fresh pair, yeah? Your wife's, if possible. The size fits, go for your wife, because yours, yours aren't men, yeah? Yeah. That wouldn't bless anybody here. Smelly old pair of socks. Um, but the point is, basic needs met. You notice it, you look at them, you think, you need, you know, I think you might need this and offer that. I think that's a principle. Simon missed it. The sinful woman got it. She knew exactly what was necessary. And she didn't even have a tap or a jar of water. She used her own tears and her own hair. There's an abundance there, a desire to meet Jesus' needs. Verse 45. Again, talking to Simon. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. People have been asking me today, what, what have you been preaching on? I say, kissing people's feet. What are you going to preach on? Kissing people's feet. Well, not really, but I thought it might be quite amusing to say that. <laughs> Jesus, this is difficult. Again, we've got to do some translation here. Jesus would have liked Simon to kiss him. Now, I have to confess that if I go to someone's house, I'm not expecting the male leader of that house to snog me. That's not what I want. I don't want to kiss. That is not an act of, in our culture, that's not an act of hospitality. Okay? That's an, I don't know what it is. It's not an act of hospitality for us. But in that culture, it very much was. And if you, you, know, you can look through you know, Romans, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Thessalonians, 1 Peter, all those. At the start of those letters, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Fortunately, we're on the ground of here, again, applying the principle rather than the practice. So what's the principle for us for here? If we want to show hospitality, I think there's something about, I really do think there's something about appropriate physical welcome. I use the word appropriate purposely. For instance, the way I welcome Jules back into the house, darling, is... <laughs> let's, let's have a kiss in the cuddle. It's very different to the way I'd welcome Mark Willoughby into the house. Grrr, bear hug. Grrr. It's very different to the way I'd welcome Tyler into the house. We'd probably high-five in a rather polite way, wouldn't we? Like, I might, might be tempted to rub the afro. Might be tempted to have a little rub. But, and if it was someone I didn't know, after kind, of, after kind of digging into this, I'd probably shake their hand or just kind of put my hand on the shoulder just to welcome them in. Because I think there's something that speaks about wanting to connect with people. Because let's, let's put it in this context. If it's a total stranger, a social outcast... Let's say, let's say it's just a, or even just a homeless person. You can give money to a homeless person if you want. That's fine. You can have a chat to them if you want. 
I think what makes the biggest difference to them, if, if you shake their hands or tap their shoulder, because they're probably not used to physical contact. They're used to dealing with people from a distance. You got any spare change? Big issue? It's all from a distance. There's something here about having a physicality to our hospitality. That's a good one. There's one there. Have some physicality to your hospitality. <laughs> that was made up on the spot. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so the point, is, the point is being physical in our welcome. Being appropriately physical in our hospitality. Verse 46. Said to Simon, you did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I have never poured oil on my head. I have never poured perfume on anyone's feet. Again, we've got to do some work here to work out what that means for us. It seems, you know, the Bible makes reference to pouring on the head in the context of healing, in the context of anointing. For here, it just seems to be in the context of hospitality. It just seems to be something you do for your guests to show them that you appreciate them being there. It's like a gift, if you like. And the woman's, the woman's, and that's what, that's what Jesus expected from Simon, just some oil on his head. That's normally what would happen from the sounds of it. And the woman brings an alabaster jar of perfume, and there's an abundance in that. So what's the principle for us? Don't be stingy. Don't be stingy in our hospitality. Let me give you an example. If I, we had some um, friends around last night. And if I had opened a bottle of wine and poured a thumbnail full of wine for each of us, and then put that wine back in the cellar, I would not be being hospitable. That would not be hospitality. There needs to be an abundance or a, a generosity in our hospitality, a willingness to love our guests through giving whatever it needs and whatever it takes to let them know that they're loved, to let them know that they're looked after. There needs to be an abundance in that. Let me just caveat that. Let me just put a rider on that. We're looking to love our guests. We're looking to love our strangers. Sometimes that may, may mean holding back on abundance. We have some friends, and we knew beforehand that they would struggle to have people round for dinner. But we invited them round. And what we didn't want them to feel like is we were judging them or setting a standard they can achieve. We wanted them to feel comfortable at home, but we still wanted to bless them. So... We may, with some people we know, lay out, lay out the table quite nicely, do a three-course meal, because we like to do that. We enjoy doing that. It's not a hassle. For them, that is something that's probably quite unattainable to them. They'd really, that, that, that would feel like pressure to them. If we offer that kind of hospitality, that would put pressure on them to return that. So we downplay it for them. But there's still a generosity. There's still an abundance in the sense we want to give to them. We want to love them. We want to show hospitality to them. Does that make sense? So the principle, don't be stingy, but also, we've got to be careful about not just being totally overabundant to such an extent that it makes people feel uncomfortable. Okay, last point on this. Verse 47. Jesus says about the woman, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus' comments on this woman's motivation is to say, it's love. That's why she's done this. It's lo- she has loved me. That's why she's done these things. Now remember, she's not even the host, and she's been more hospitable than the host has been. And I, I think it's because she's loved Jesus. 
And there's a, there's a kind of a two-pronged thing for us there, that our love for Jesus will fall out into better hospitality, but also our motivation for hospitality has to be love. We're very familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, aren't we? So it's all about love, and it's all about if we do anything, you know, I can speak with the tongues of angels, but if I have not love, I'm just a clanging cymbal or a banging gong. In other words, you can make a lot of noise, but you don't achieve anything. Now, that can be an accusation that I can take quite easily because I make a lot of noise and don't achieve much. But I'd rather be in the category of loving much and achieving much. So the challenge here is for us to do this all out of love. Not just because it says in the Bible, show hospitality, offer hospitality, practice hospitality, but because we love Jesus and because we love guests, because we love strangers. We really need to get hold of this principle of God as a hospitable God and us being shown an amazing act of hospitality as the root of our motivation, as the thing that pushes us forward, as a thing that galvanizes our efforts in terms of doing hospitality. I think, I'm convinced that we will be more hospitable if we understand that, if it gets into our spirit and into our hearts before we start to show hospitality, before we say, Let's go and show hospitality. So today, we could all march out and go, Ben's talked about hospitality. Let's go and show hospitality. Amen. Actually, I think it would be more effective if we just stop and really get hold of the fact that we worship, we love, we spend time with an hospitable God and that we've been shown such hospitality that he loves guests. He loves strangers. My goodness, I'm strange and he loves me. That's what he's done. He's brought us into his family. He's taken us from being far off and dragged us through the cross of Christ into his family. We've been adopted forever. So, if we've got hold of that idea, let's do, I'll do a little bit of application for you. For those guys who are in core groups or in fusion groups, you may get a chance to talk about this in more detail to work out what it really means for you. I just want to throw a few more kind of a few more things in there that we perhaps might not put in directly as application. For instance, immigration policy. I'm sure you're all thinking that, weren't you? I know Ben's going to talk about hospitality and immigration policy. Well, I am. It's kind of topical. The elections just happened. Um, it's a complex political issue. Let's not, be, let's not, be, let's not mess around. There's, those are financial implications. Those are employment implications. But I want to ask you, I want to challenge you. What is your heart attitude to foreigners in our land. I use those terms in, in, as biblical terms rather than as terms that are loaded in our society. What is our attitude to aliens in our land? How do you view them? Are they guests that need welcoming? Are they guests that need hospitality? Do you treat them as native-born? Do you treat them as if they're your own? Do you? We, we run something at the church called Leadership Training, which is um, guys from around the region come here. We put on some training in the Bible and help them, and lots of them stay over. So Rabina, who looks after that, will go out occasionally by email and say, can anyone host? Can anyone look after? Can anyone show hospitality to some of these delegates? What's your response when that email comes out? Delete. Or is it actually, wow, an opportunity to show hospitality? An opportunity to work out my salvation, my understanding of God, with a stranger. What do you think? Let, 
by the way, we don't have a leadership training, just, um, training at the moment. Um, for us, at this stage in life, we feel like it's a bit too much for us and we'd struggle to offer the hospitality we'd like to. We've, we've in fact, given other people the opportunity. Yeah, that's the way we're thinking about it. I just want to throw that in, just to kind of say, that, you know, this, this is not like law. There is grace in this. But what's your heart attitude? You know, what, what is your heart? Do you love having guests? Do you love showing hospitality? Or actually, is it really something that you don't want to get into? How about your neighborhood? Paul prophesied earlier on about God being sovereign, God being totally in control, which means that God has put you in a particular place in your neighborhood and has put particular people around you. It's not an accident. Where you live is not an accident. Who does God want you to show hospitality to? Who does God want you to offer hospitality to in your neighborhood and in your area? If you're at college, at school, we talked about it earlier on, didn't we, about new people coming in. Now, it's quite scary when you're a new person in a school. And it's quite scary to step out to that new person and try and be their friend. But that's what God wants us to do. When there's a new person that comes to your school next time, what do you think? Do you reckon you could do that? Do you think you could show them a little bit of hospitality? A little bit of friendship? To love them a little bit? I don't know, something to think about. I get really excited about the prospect of hospitality. I get really excited about us, you guys, getting hold of hospitality. And I'll tell you why. Because I think the natural conclusion of a church that is hospitable is growth. Because the natural consequence of God showing hospitality to us was us being added into his family. If our sins have been taken away, if we've been loved... We are adopted into his family. For us, if we have guests or strangers that we show hospitality to, maybe, just maybe, with God's grace and his blessing, they'll come through to be members of our family. They'll become part of our household. They'll meet with us. They'll become friends. Because we've loved them. Because our heart has been to show God's hospitality to them. That's my hope. That's my prayer for you guys, that you really show up City Church Central with your hospitality. That you really get a name for yourselves as being hospitable. Now actually, my observation on a Sunday afternoon is that you guys love having new people among you, and it's wonderful, that's great. I think at Central, there's some work to be done, actually. There is some work to be done. But you, I, I just want you to get the heart of hospitality and to get excited about the potential of hospitality. What it can really do. The simplicity of it, but the magnificent results that can come from it. 